stop. This message could save you from investing your precious time into a true crime story that goes nowhere. Avoid that disappointment. You need True Crime Feed Podcast. Unlimited premium true crime curated for you. Find out about a female serial dater turned serial killer. The truth about the D.A.R.E. program. Bizarre black markets, political murder plots, and a school for troubled teens so horrific it could be a Stephen King novel. True Crime Feed sifts the archives from the past decade to select the best cases and gives you a quick overview sprinkled with a teensy bit of humor, plus a weekly top three power ranking for shows currently trending, and lets you know what shows to send down your podcast queue trapdoor. You know you want those thrill chills, so come and get them. Subscribe to True Crime Feed. That's True Crime F-E-E-D wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine going out to get your mail. You approach your mailbox, just like any other day, and retrieve the usual pile of unwanted envelopes. As you sort through the credit card offers and pre-approved loan solicitations, something unexpected happens. Suddenly, you come across a mysterious letter with your name and address painstakingly handwritten on it and there's no trace of a return address. You cautiously unfold the unopened letter, not knowing what to expect. You then find that the letter contains your deepest secrets. It appears that someone knows all about your past actions, good, bad, and ugly. The letter ominously warns of dire consequences if you fail to confess. This disturbing form of communication is commonly referred to as a poison pen letter, a dark element often central to horror tales. It's as if a mysterious observer has been shadowing your every move, possessing intimate knowledge of your life that no one should have access to. Now, what if I told you that this actually happened? These exact letters haunted the small town of Circleville, Ohio in 1976 and persisted until as late as 1993. In the quiet confines of the small Ohio town, the Circleville letters detailed numerous misdeeds of specific members of the community. The writer appeared to be some sort of literary vigilante, but never did anyone anticipate that these letters would turn deadly. And do you know what the most chilling part of this story is? The author behind the Circleville letters might still be out there. Somehow, someone knew that Mary Gillespie was having an affair with Superintendent Gordon Massey. Mary was a local bus driver for the school district and the first target of the literary menace. She received her first letter in 1976. The letter briefly detailed her affair with Massey and urged her to publicly confess. Chillingly, the letter concluded with the words, I know where you live. I've been observing your house and know you have children. This is no joke. Please take it serious. And Mary wasn't the only one in her home receiving letters. 
It didn't take long before Ron Gillespie, Mary's husband, found himself targeted by these letters as well. Soon enough, the entire town was aware of the alleged affair, yet Mary vehemently denied it. The letter sender was far from pleased with her response. A fresh letter to Mary carried a stern message. Gillespie, you had two weeks and done nothing. Admit the truth and inform the school board. If not, I will broadcast it on posters, signs, and billboards until the truth comes out. Right from the start, Mary suspected that a fellow bus driver by the name of David Longberry might be the elusive letter writer. Longberry had expressed a romantic interest in Mary, and she rejected him. According to her, Longberry still displayed visible resentment toward her ever since. Mary and Ron Gillespie reached out to Ron's sister Karen and her husband Paul Freshour for assistance. Paul's sister was also made aware of the menacing letters, but the matter remained a secret from everyone else. The five of them collectively devised a plan, with Paul taking the lead in writing a letter to David Longbury. In this letter, Paul asserted that he was aware of David's involvement in sending threatening letters to Mary and Ron. For a brief period, it seemed as though their strategy had succeeded, as the letters ceased for a few weeks. With Mary and Ron not hearing from the mysterious writer for some time, they were beginning to feel that the horror was behind them. But little did they know that things were on the verge of turning deadly. The writer of the letters finally returned, but not with their usual M.O. It wasn't another letter that came in. This time, it was an unexpected phone call. The identity of the caller on the other end remained a mystery, as did the contents of their conversation with Ron. Whatever was said during that call left Ron deeply enraged. He abruptly left the house, seething with anger, hopped into his car, and sped away. But before he left, he grabbed his shotgun. Was Ron on a mission to track down the tormentor who had plagued his family? Was he determined to put an end to the letters once and for all? His true motive remains forever, shrouded in mystery. When Ron was eventually found, he was dead. His car had collided with a tree, and his firearm had been discharged. The police could never ascertain the target of that gunshot, but they attributed Ron's death to alcohol, even though he had never been known as a heavy drinker. Shortly after the official cause of death was disclosed, an eerie turn of events unfolded. The sheriff himself began receiving letters, accusing him of concealing the true circumstances surrounding Ron Gillespie's demise. Other residents in Circleville began receiving similar letters about the sheriff as well. Sheriff Radcliffe said he thought foul play was involved at first. However, the other person who was involved in the accident passed a polygraph test. It also was learned that Ron's autopsy showed a blood alcohol level of 0.16, so Radcliffe thought the cause of death was drunk driving. That raises an important question. Who was the other person involved in the accident? Interestingly, that information has never been disclosed. After all of this, Mary would admit 
that she actually was having an affair with Gordon Massey. Strangely, though, she claims that the affair started after the letters. The letters kept coming, and they were no longer limited to Mary. They were also being addressed to her daughter. Then, in 1983, the Circleville letter writer adopted a different strategy. The mysterious person was now posting signs along Mary's bus route. After enduring years of relentless harassment and the loss of her husband, Mary had reached her breaking point. One day, she abruptly halted her bus and got out to remove one of the signs. Why she chose that specific day and that particular sign location remains a mystery. As Mary reached for the sign, she saw something strange. A string linking the sign to a concealed box. It was fortunate she didn't yank it, for inside the box lay a loaded firearm, its barrel pointed directly at her. Had she gone ahead and taken down the sign, the string would have triggered the firearm, and Mary would most likely be dead. The letter writer had made an attempt to scratch off the firearm's serial number, but there remained just enough visible for authorities to trace it back to a member of the community. That person was, at one time, a member of Mary's family. The gun belonged to Paul Freshour, Mary's former brother-in-law. Consequently, Paul found himself under arrest, seemingly putting an end to the ordeal. However, the resolution wasn't as straightforward as it seemed. Paul Freshour claimed that the gun had been stolen, yet he hadn't reported it, which left no evidence to support his claim. He was then requested to provide handwriting samples for a comparison with the Circleville letters. However, the test administered to him was unconventional, as it required him to replicate one of the letters rather than simply writing in his own handwriting. Freshour vehemently denied being the Circleville letter writer, and the trial presented its share of complexities. In a surprising turn of events, Paul Freshour's wife, Karen Sue, came forward to confess to the police that her husband had been the author of the Circleville letters. Their marriage had been unraveling amidst a bitter divorce and Karen Sue provided compelling evidence to support her claim. She had discovered hidden letters scattered throughout their home. Still, the prosecution would face an uphill battle. The prosecution's only concrete evidence rested on the firearm owned by Freshour and his proximity to Mary Gillespie, which amounted to a rather tenuous case. The handwriting comparison was also inconclusive, but that didn't stop the prosecution from pushing it to the jury. In the end, the jury deemed the partial evidence sufficient to convict Paul Freshour of attempted murder, even though he was never formally charged as the Circleville letter writer. He received a prison sentence ranging from seven to 25 years. But there was one major problem with the conviction. The letters didn't stop. Crazy enough, while Freshour was confined to his cell, he received his own letter. The letter read, Now when are you going to believe you aren't going to get out of there? I told you two years ago. 
when we set them up, they stay set up. Don't you listen at all? As the Circleville letters persisted, suspicion inevitably turned towards Karen Sue. After all, she was the one that had reported her husband to the police. Questions began to surface. Did Karen Sue, possibly in collusion with her boyfriend, conspire to frame Paul? It turns out that a witness saw a man setting up the sign that nearly killed Mary Gillespie. The description they gave matched that of Karen's boyfriend. Paul Freshour was granted parole in May 1994 after spending a decade in prison. He vehemently denied being involved with any of the events involving the Circleville letters. He died in 2012, maintaining his innocence and that he had been falsely imprisoned. So many questions remain in this case. Let's start with Mary Gillespie. How did she know to stop her bus and pull down the one sign that had been booby-trapped? And she was able to discover that it was booby-trapped without getting hurt. Since it was later revealed that Mary was having an affair with Gordon Massey, one is left to wonder if there was more to her involvement in this case. Then there is Karen. Her divorce with Paul was messy. Since she was living with him, she did have access to his gun and some speculate that she may have framed him. A witness saw a man on the side of the road with a yellow El Camino in the location that Mary Gillespie pulled over and found the booby-trapped sign 20 minutes later. A man Karen Freshour was dating at this time drove a similar vehicle and matched the description. It's also possible that several of these suspects, or even other Circleville residents, may have written one or several of the letters without necessarily being the original or primary letter writer. It's possible that once the letters began, multiple individuals seized the opportunity to express their grievances. However, it would be hard to explain how all of these people decided to stop writing the letters at the same time. Since the airing of the Unsolved Mysteries segment in 1993, there has been no further communication from the Circleville letter writer. Speaking of Unsolved Mysteries, the production team received a letter from the Circleville writer while they were filming their segment. Their letter stated, Forget Circleville, Ohio. Do nothing to hurt Sheriff Radcliffe. If you come to Ohio, UL Sickos will pay. It was signed the Circleville Writer. <laughs>